Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, it's always a pleasure to have you join us here on the program as we uh, begin uh, to talk with a very our special guests every single program, every podcast, videocast, broadcast, uh, and uh, bring you, I think, important information that you'll be able to use uh, to go out uh, to make the kind of choices that will help make your dreams come true. Looking for those new ways of living. Uh, the old ways just don't work. And so uh, we're trying to uh, uh, educate and enlighten and inspire as well. And our guest today is going to do just that for you. Uh, his name is DDS Dodson Smith. I want to welcome to you to our program, DDS. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Richard. It's very kind of you um, to have me. And what a lovely introduction, too. Well, I also love the title of your book, uh, uh, which is extremely important, but it's also very difficult sometimes for some people. You can be yourself. And the subtitle is, uh, this is your pocket guide to creating inclusive workplaces, all right, by using the psychology of uh, belonging. There is a word that I find interesting that people seem to have latched onto um, that I'm not a, I'm not a fan of it and I'll, I'll I can explain why but maybe you aren't either and that's the <laughs> word tolerance uh, because oh. tolerance implies a judgment on the other person and I'm just going to tolerate you. I'm going to tolerate you being on my program, DDS. Um, I'm, you know, it's, whereas the word I would choose that does not necessarily mean that, you, uh, that I agree with you. Lockstep. Hey, let's, let's march together here. Acceptance. I mm. accept you the way that you are. I'm not going to tolerate you. I'm going to accept you because you're a member of the human race. You have a right to be here. You have a right to your opinions, your ideas, your perspectives, your lifestyle, uh, you know, whatever other categories you want to throw in there. And it seems that maybe we should start there to begin with as far as that's concerned when you talk about the psychology of belonging. Because I'll tell you what, if somebody said, you know, I'm going to tolerate you, Richard, I don't really feel like I belong. But right. if they say, Richard, I may not agree with you and your perspectives, but I accept you. I feel included. Yep. I couldn't agree more. I, um, and uh, one of the things that I talk about in the book is this idea of um, meeting people where they are at. Um, <clears throat> I often talk about how it's, it's easier for somebody to get on your bus if you go to their bus stop instead of asking them to come to your bus stop. <clears throat> and I think, I think what's, what becomes, you know, um, really important in, in this space is the idea of respect as well as acceptance. So we all have different models of the world. Even those of us that believe similar things, don't believe similar things, come from the similar backgrounds, we all go about our daily lives constructing our own experience of reality in our heads. And so each and every single one of us can um, has this has a, has our own uh, unique map of the world. 
And I think what becomes really important is that we start from a place of respecting the other person's map of the world, respecting that their map of reality is their map of reality, and that it is not up to me to judge whether they are right or wrong. It's up to me to accept them exactly as they are, where they are, because quite frankly, we as individual human beings often have a hard enough time accepting where we are, um, let alone accepting where other people are. Yeah, and and uh, I will share with you that <clears throat> I I had an experience several years ago, and it was primarily during the uh, beginning of the presidential campaign 2016, and I got sucked into the whole darn thing uh, in this, in September. It took me six months to get unsucked. <laughs> and um, I finally reached a phase in 2017 where I was actually able to say, and to me this, this does say this, it was very hard at first because my ego was really uh, insistent. It was a little on the bruised side because I didn't want to bully uh, in the White House. And that's my perception, okay? So, folks, that's just my perception. I'm, putting, I'm not putting it on anyone else. But I got to the point where I finally was able to say, DDS, teacher, thank you for teaching me how not to behave. I moved into three other phases after that. I forgive you, but more importantly, I forgive myself for allowing myself to be drawn into this quagmire of politics. Yep. Yep. Third phase was from a very humble, contrite heart, but also of a, from a very human heart. What is it that you're so afraid of that makes you behave and speak this way. I'm not asking you to change. I just want to understand so I can let, I can set this stuff aside and move on. And then the fourth phase was to say those three words and mean them. And as I said earlier, this man has every right to be here just like the rest of us. I may not like what he's doing, but those three words are, I love you. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I don't necessarily support you, but I accept you as part of our society and civilization. And I can move on. I don't have to follow you. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to do anything more than say, you have every right to be here just like the rest of us. I don't, I don't want anything to happen to you. That's any more than I, and I would say the same thing even about Putin with this whole thing. The man does need a, a permanent timeout, but I don't mean by virtue of killing him. No, no. That's totally contrary to this program. So it seems to me that tolerance is not the word we want to use. It's acceptance. But you put all of this in the psychology of belonging within yeah. the context of business. But I've also noticed that <clears throat> people will actually, in, in certain aspects, they will use psychology. For example, I was taught in sales uh, that the main focus of sales is not to get the contract, to get the check, to get the money. It's not the bottom line. It's to establish relationships. And it, at first I thought, that seems a little disingenuous. Because, again, you're still, you, so you're creating a relationship. But for what purpose? To make money. Because that seems to be everybody's focus. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk a little bit about that. And granted, uh, again... I know that this is geared more towards the office place, business, the workplace, and so forth. But it, it that's part of our lives, of how we live. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, you know, we live in a capitalist economy that is driven by producing and consuming. So there is a drive to produce and consume in order to keep the economy alive. So that is true and that that exists. And, you know, one of the things that I that I talk about in the book is that our need to belong is um, is a prime directive. It is a biological imperative. We need to connect with other human beings and we need to feel love and nurture from other human beings, including in the workplace, but including in all contexts of our lives. Um, and that transcends geographies, generations, and it, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter where you come from or what you believe, you, we all deserve to belong and to, to experience belonging. Um, it, and it's as simple as that. DDS uh, Dodson Smith is my guest. You can be yourself here. We're going to talk about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's really a pleasure to have uh, uh, DDS Dodson uh, Smith on our program. Uh, DDS, when we talk about uh, being yourself, mm -hmm. a lot of people don't even know who they are, and that yeah. seems to be uh, the first uh, the first hurdle. And one of the things that we have been promoting for several years on this program since uh, uh, September of 2019, <laughs> September, a key, a key month, it's also our anniversary month as well of this program, <clears throat> uh, is um, the 2020s, the decade of perfect vision. Well, where, where will you have always have perfect vision? When you go within, when you spend time in that quiet, still calm, peaceful place, listening to, you can call it your intuition, that still small voice, higher, higher self, the divine, whatever name you want to give it. How important is that in learning about self so that we can be our true self? Well, I think in the, in the process of, uh, in the process of inclusion and belonging, uh, it, it, it does mean being able to meet other people where they're at, accept them for who they are and acknowledge and affirm that they have a place in, in this world. Now, the, the challenge in amongst this sort of stuff that I've, that I've often seen when I, when I work with leaders and, and people um, on matters of diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging is the is the narrative of well i don't see color or everyone's the same and and the intention of that i understand to be positive mm -hmm. and true but the impact of that is something that can be quite damaging and harmful because it invisibilizes the experience of other people it invisibilizes the challenges that um you know if we li we live in this capitalist economy where where in which Anyone who is male, straight, cisgender, um, non-disabled, um, uh, and white is auto, has an automatic leg up because of the way in which our systems, and by systems I mean our laws, our regulations, our organizations, are geared towards promoting and favoring that demographic. So... When, when people say, well, I don't see color and I don't see sex and I don't, you know, everyone's the same. For the people that don't have identities that are white, straight, cisgender, male, 
and non-disabled. That, as I said, that invisibilizes the, the, the struggle that they have had. So bringing this back to self-awareness, what becomes really important in these conversations is being able to know who you are and to know the aspects of your identity that carry automatic privilege and the aspects of your identity that are marginalized or oppressed or excluded in some way so that you can appreciate where you are because when you know where you are you can have a deeper appreciation for where the other person is i saw a documentary it was a short one a very short one that was put out by one of my other guests on the program that says that <clears throat> when it comes to the subject of racism, and you kind of have, have sort of opened the door for that by talking about how people don't see color, is every human being is racist. And here was the explanation. You cannot escape the, um, the filters that you have that are in essence innate it doesn't matter what you say about how i don't see color the reality is you do anyway even if it's on a subconscious level mm. and that and and to acknowledge and, the, and of course they what they did was they did this montage of a multi multiplicity of people who said and these were all people of different races and sexes and each person came on and said their name and said I'm a racist. Each one of them would acknowledge and accept that title mm -hmm. because they understand now that we all do it. We, we you know, uh, you and I, we have the same hairstyle. <laughs> okay. Um, and people will see us and they will make a judgment. Oh, is he a skinhead? Maybe mm -hmm. he's a, until I, until I start talking to you and getting to know you, I'm already passing judgment on you, plus or minus, positive or negative, friend yeah. or foe. Well, that see, that's where I I would I, I I'm not aligned with your previous guess that everyone is a racist, and and this is why. Because there is ev everyone can discriminate, mm -hmm. and discrimination in and of itself is just discrimination. I am discerning between. I like this. I like, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. And then there is prejudice, which is a pre a judgment that we make a prejudgment that we make based on our discrimination. When you throw power into that, only when you throw power into it, do you get things like racism, sexism, heterosexism. And so depending on where the power sits. And by power, I don't just mean hierarchical power. I mean, systemic power. Um, I mean, power of money. So as soon as, as soon as power gets added into the, the discrimination and the prejudice uh, behavior, that's when you get the isms now. Mm. Um, and, and so in, in this life, at least in my lifetime, I think, anyone who walks around this world in a black body or a brown body or somebody from an indigenous first nations community uh, do not carry power. The system is stacked against them. So I, I don't believe everyone is racist. 
I do believe everyone discriminates. I do believe everyone has prejudice, but I don't believe everyone is able to be racist by the by the definition of the word. Mm, okay. And maybe they're using a broader definition. I'll have to go yeah. back and watch that again. It was just a fascinating uh, conversation that he was uh, el eliciting from these individuals. And, they, of course, they elucidated on that, each one of them. Uh, so it was just yeah. kind of a fascinating perspective. I yeah. myself, and this, is, this was rather interesting. Now, I was born and raised. I was born, with, I was born legally blind uh, yeah. with three different conditions, cataracts, nystagmus, and stigmatism. Yep. Uh, in my 36th year, I had a lens implant in my right eye, so now I'm actually driving. But before then, nope, not driving. And right. I remember this very, very vividly where I was, I was working one day at the radio station back in Phoenix. And uh, we were doing a music hour, and I was pulling the vinyl out of the record sleeves and putting it on the turntable and queuing it up. And uh, sometimes I'd pull out my magnifying glass to make sure that I got the needle right where it was supposed to be, and I would queue it up. And I got so proficient at it, I could cue a record up in five seconds from the record in the in the rack, the record rack, to the turntable platter, queued up, ready to go. I got so good at it, uh, I didn't even need my magnifying glass. And mm. I still remember to this day, the, uh, one of the, there was somebody there in studio with me, and they saw me pull out my magnifying glass and use it, and they said, "I I didn't know you you had poor vision." Wow, that's amazing, you know, and, and there I was. And so I had, I sort of adapted uh, and and so they had no idea. I wasn't really that public about it at that time. You know, it was and there was a certain element of hiding it. I was I, I would be embarrassed sometimes to pull out my magnifying glass in front of a bunch of people. Not anymore. Not anymore. It, it, it doesn't bother me. Uh, I'm still, I guess you call it nearsighted. So I still use the glass, you know, from time yeah. to time. That is one of those those situations where um, I, I was I was pleasantly surprised, uh, rather appreciative of their. Uh, I don't want to say their lack of awareness because it was a, probably the first time they saw me do that, uh, but their their. Uh, I suppose their awe and appreciation for my adaptation to that situation. They didn't treat me any differently after that, don't get me wrong, but uh, it was just really interesting. And I had no control over that. What, my, my, my blindness wasn't, at least as far as being born, wasn't really a choice. It, I just, you know, that's how I came out. Yep. And um, same thing with uh, my, I guess you could say whiteness, although I, some probably more brown than white. Uh, uh, and so forth because of uh, my Hispanic heritage, Native American heritage as well, uh, my DNA. I'm from all three or four levels, the North, Central, and South American continents of, of indigenous peoples based upon my DNA. Uh, but I never thought about it before, you know? And then when people start talking about white privilege, I'm going, I'm, you know, I've had a great life. I've always felt like I've been in the right place at the right time, but... It hadn't been that easy. I've, I've had to struggle through myself to these things. And I, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic that we're talking about here. Yeah. I mean, having white privilege or, or male privilege or straight privilege or able-bodied privilege yeah. doesn't mean that you haven't struggled. Like it's, it's hard being a human being, right? Full stop. Like just, it is hard. Yeah. 
to get up every day and grind. Yeah. So there are there are struggles. And the thing about the thing about privilege is that it tends to be it tends to go unnoticed until it isn't. So I don't know, um, as a, 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 a straight person has never had to think about whether they can hold the hands of their loved one as they walk down a street before. But a gay, a, 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 anyone in a queer couple, that is front of mind and a preoccupation. You maybe, maybe a, you know, a white couple uh, go to rent an apartment and the landlord and they, and they get the apartment, but unbeknownst to them, the people that saw it before them were turned down because they were black. Mm. They've, ex- they, they have benefited from white privilege. Mm. Um, the couple yeah. that are holding hand are benefiting from straight privilege. That doesn't mean to say that the straight person is bad or the white person is bad. Nobody alive today is responsible for slavery. Yeah. And, and, and yet the systems that we all uh, operate within uphold some of those ideals. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's not that, that it, it can become really hard to have these conversations because inherently these conversations are going to lead to some sorts of feelings of wrongdoing, shame, guilt, anger, and, and people don't like to feel those feelings. So the, the better option for many people is to avoid having the conversation altogether, which sometimes gets dressed up in the, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to upset someone. Well, newsflash, you have to be wrong. You have to be okay with being wrong. Mm. You have to be okay with saying stupid stuff that that might tread on someone's toes, but you just then take accountability for it. Because if you don't have these conversations, then nothing is going to change. If you don't engage with the, the feelings of shame or anger or frustration or whatever they are, then nothing will change. And for some people, they don't want anything to change because that's going to mean a loss of power, a loss of status, a lot of position, a loss of position. And I get that. I get that some people don't want to lose that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm over, I'm, I'm in the other camp of let's talk about it so that we can, we can bring about um, a more even playing field for this terror, this often terrible experience we have of being in these meat suits on this if if you're not a flat earther globe <laughs> globe that is moving through space right yeah. or this this earth that we are on we're talking with DDS Dodson uh, Smith and your book entitled uh, you have you can be yourself here here being the workplace we're going to continue our conversation uh, here on tell me your story i'm richard dugan your host and uh, the, the conversation we've had up to this point, I think, is extremely important as we move into the aspects of, as, as your focus is, of course, executive coaching. But, yes. but it's also talking about the workplace in general. And it, it the workplace, um, over the last few years, has really, really changed. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who are concerned over the fact that there are more jobs available than there are people looking for jobs. Not people available, but people Correct. looking for jobs because they have discovered 
a new way of working, be that it from home or whatever other means they want to to earn their income and contribute, if you will, contribute to said economy, as, as was referred to earlier. Um, how has that changed your methodology? You've been doing this for 25 years or so. Uh, how has how has your coaching style changed your methods, your protocols um, during the what I like to call the covid era? Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in March 2020, everything changed for for me. I, I, I had spent a 25 year career um, building organizations in which people could experience belonging, um, working one on one with people, both clinically as a psychotherapist and also as as a coach and executive coach. And I I maintained I was adamant that my work had to be done in person, that it would lose potency, that it wouldn't have the same impact. And then COVID came along and said, oh yeah, DDS, hold my beer. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and so March, 2020, everything changed. And, yeah. and I, if I wanted to continue to pay the mortgage, and if I wanted to continue to pay for cat food, for mine and my husband's two cats, then I needed to do something differently. And I needed to shift everything online, which is what the entire world did. So I'm not, I'm not sitting here, you know, professing any kind of brilliance, but we all moved online. Mm -hmm. But what I'm seeing now, or what, or what I heard throughout the, to use your phrase, the COVID era, was a lot of people um, finding it hard to build relationships to deepen rapport and to establish connections with people not in a physical location, you know, through a through a through a screen and and, and or through a phone. And and I agree, it's hard. It's or it's at least it's different, right? Because whenever, whenever we're learning a new skill, it feels clunky and awkward to learn a new skill. And it requires effort and energy to to be able to 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 learn that new skill and then to deploy that new skill and i i you know i i have some patients richard um and some clients that i have never met in person i've only ever met them through the screen mm. and both by their admission of their experience and my own experience i have had some of the most potent and meaningful moments of change um and um and conversation in some of those some of those relationships with people that i've never met in person so i hear that it is hard but it is not impossible so it it you we just have to use what is available to us more consciously and um and with a different through a different lens do you uh, do you find that uh, um, now that things are starting to open up again, uh, uh, that you're going to shift back the other way because it obviously is the for you it is the better way and that may, and that certainly makes a lot of sense, or like many people, 
uh, are you thinking, okay, we've, we've experienced this, and initially it was not real comfortable. For me, this, this method that I started doing two years ago, and it's amazing uh, how I never did video editing before, but with the YouTube version of Tell Me Your Story, I'm now video editing. I didn't want anything to do with having anything to do with cameras because it was so much preparation ahead of time. Whereas if it's just audio, I flip a switch, I hit the space bar and boom, we're off and running and I don't have to wait for anything. Yeah. And yet I am finding uh, a great uh, uh, excitement every time I've got another video to edit and I'm going through, especially if I, for example, I have guests on who actually are, are uh, singers, they're musicians uh, who who have uh, wonderful stuff. I had one gal on who is a shaman and she's also a musician. She sings. So we incorporated some of her songs in the audio, the podcast. But I thought, you know, it'd be kind of nice if I had videos of those songs. Well, I went on YouTube and I found them and, and I was able to download and, and incorporate them in there. And it was really a lot of fun. So now I'm thinking, all right, so when authors are able to travel, if that, if that is ever brought up again by the PR firms or what have you, am I really going to want them in studio or am I, am I going to have to figure out a way to have a second camera so that I continue, continue to record the videos that I really think are effective? So with the COVID era uh, almost almost gone, or at least maybe minimized considerably. What are your thoughts in that regard, specifically for you and the work that you do as an executive coach, but maybe in general the workforce in saying, you know what, some of the things that we discovered during this time, I want to keep doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the world, the, the world of work is talking about hybrid working at the moment. And there's, you know, that combination of being able to work from wherever you want to work, as long as you've got a decent Wi-Fi connection, but also have moments of connection in 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 a in a physical office, and I and I think that has going that applies to me in my business as well because one of the real benefits I don't know if it's too early to talk about the benefits of the COVID era era because there's been so much tragedy. Yes. But but for me, one of the gifts of this terrible period has been I I've been able to in my executive coaching practice I've been able to work with people all around the world. So I have clients in, um, in Singapore, Japan, London. I have uh, clients on the East and West Coast and middle of America. I have, I have a client in Sydney. So that being able to, to meet online has opened up that world. And then with my psychotherapy practice, I'm starting to see my patients in person again. Um, and so being able to, I think this, this, the COVID era has been a paradigm shifting moment for so many people, if not all of us. And, and, and I think, uh, what, what I, what I want to do, Richard is have my cake and eat it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I want to, I want to run an online business. That means I get to continue to connect and, and coach with people from so many different walks of life. And I want those moments of in-person human you know we're in the same room i can see your entire body i can see what's going on for you and there's much more information available to me yeah um, as a as a psychotherapist well i know that uh, uh using this particular method uh of screen talk uh 
does not allow you to do much uh, uh, body reading, you know, picking up on body language. Uh, but um, uh, a dear friend of mine used to read faces. But it was more the characteristics of the face in general to sort of lay out, this is the general personality of this person. Not so much body language. Oh, mm-hmm. no, he's not telling the truth because his nose is a little shifted to the left or he's squinting or whatever, the, the, the tech, whatever that is there. So it is, it is a very interesting thing. I want to let folks know that uh, your website is soultrained.com, correct? That is correct. Soultrained.com. We'll talk about that in just a moment as we continue. Talking with DDS Dodson-Smith. He's the author of You Can Be Yourself Here. Here uh, as we are discussing the workplace. And uh, we're going to continue doing so as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, I want to let our listeners and viewers know that this program is here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and we're streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. Oh, and don't forget about the special edition of Tell Me Your Story. It's on Wednesdays at 9 a.m., and we podcast these programs. They are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations on the Internet. And as I mentioned earlier, we're also on YouTube. The channel is Tell Me Your Story, Richard Dugan. <clears throat> Easy enough to find. The banner across the top of the channel is the 2020s, the decade of perfect vision, where we hope you will spend that time going within. And we're going to talk a little more about that uh, with our guest at DDS and uh, find out more about uh, what that's all about with his website, Trained. that's an ed at the end, dot com, soultrained.com. And uh, we also ask if you can support us financially. We have a PayPal account. It is for your security as well as ours. Any amount is uh, graciously uh, accepted. We will even take energetic support. So uh, if you happen to be a Reiki master and you want to send us some good energy, we'll take it and we'll put it to good use. I promise you. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, your website, uh, soultrained.com. First of all, what are some of the things that people will find on your website that can help to facilitate uh, their not only understanding, because I think it does take some understanding, but then uh, going through the process of learning about and becoming the authentic self so we can be ourselves in the workplace and elsewhere for that matter. Yeah. So on, on, on the website, there is a page called Shift Happens. Um, and it, and on, on that page, there are blogs, um, articles, um, uh, videos, uh, and uh, podcasts for, for people to consume um, that, you know, address a lot of those topics. And, you know, I would also say, take a, take a look at the book um, available in audible uh, version, ebook version, and, and, and paperback version. Because what was really beautiful, um, I had some feedback the other day from a from a reader, because the book is the book is written for CEOs, leaders of organizations, you know, HR people, 
And I had somebody um, who was none of those things um, in their professional role reach out to me to let me know that they felt really seen by the book, um, that mm. they felt that they found stuff in there for them. And one of the highest compliments I feel like I have ever had is that what they loved about, about it was that um, they, they felt like I wasn't talking down, which they said a lot of people do on these types of topics. There's always like, you're, you're bad, I'm better because, you know, I'm, I'm smart and woke. But what they said is, you, DDS, you didn't talk down, you talked with me. Um, while he was reading this book. So, um, yeah, there's tons of stuff on the website and the shift happens. Um, and also the, the book, um, the book seems to be going down really well with people that are reading it. Well, I love the fact that you have it also in audible. That's a huge thing. I, I have been hearing some, uh, analysis and statistics that audible is beginning to really start to take off as if it wasn't already pretty popular, um, although I, I do have to tell you that uh, in my early days, I was listening to Audible before Audible was Audible because I was listening to books on vinyl and uh, cassette and reel-to-reel through uh, talking books for the blind and recordings for the blind. And um, it was very, very, it was, it was great. Uh, that's where I uh, met up with my metaphysical, my metaphysical primer, Autobiography of a Yogi. And I still have that original recording on my phone. And I've listened to that book probably, I don't know, possibly a thousand times in the last 43, 44 years that, uh, that I have not only been in this business, but been on my search uh, my search for uh, the questions that are on my mind. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, the, the aspect of soul training. I mean, again, we talked earlier about uh, going within, spending time listening to the still small voice. Uh, describe for us a little bit about that, because that seems almost contrary to capitalism, free enterprise, the business world, the workplace, anything to do with uh, 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 earning an income, if you will. There's no, there's no soul there. It's hard, card, hold, hard, cold cash. <laughs> exactly why Soul Trained exists, Richard, because, you know, it's an antidote to that, right? So one of, one of Soul Trained's mission is to help leaders get up out of the weeds of their comfort zone and into places they didn't need to go and, and to create leaders who are worth following around the world. And the name really comes from the, so um, the word psyche is a Greek translation um, uh, or it's translated from um, Greek as being soul. So psyche is soul, psychology is the study of the soul and psychotherapy is the healing of the wounded soul. Um, so psychopathology being wounded soul. And so the idea here is when we, when we, when we look at business today, there, there was a really interesting report done by, um, uh, it was published in Forbes in 2018, um, some statistics around how um, 80, 82% of managers when they're, when their team members were surveyed, <clears throat> were, were not good at managing other people. And then combine that with 
um, the something like $15.2 billion that is being spent by business in America alone on leadership development each year. Something is not working, right? And so um, the idea is that, that leadership today, in my view, is about unlearning management and relearning being human. Mm-hmm. And so Soul Trained is here to bring about that humanity, to bring back humanity into the workplace as a, not, not to, um, to get rid of, to uh, demolish the, you know, that we're here to make money and we are in a capitalist economy, but to act as a counterpoint to it, as a mm-hmm. counterweight, so that we can find organizations that have humanity running through them um, in their leadership and in the way they approach running the business while also making money. You know, um, I I remember uh, being a part of uh, some groups uh, when I was younger and uh, uh, they would talk about how you should do what you love doing and the money will follow. Now, I think that a lot of people interpreted that as the money will follow, meaning that your bank account will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And I've begun to reinterpret that. Uh, I'm 61 years old. I've been in this business, this uh, broadcasting uh, business, for 43 plus years. And I'm still here. I'm healthy. I got a little, just a little bit of a punch on me. I'm working on getting rid of, but uh, I'm eating. Okay. Uh, I got gas in the truck. I've got food in the refrigerator. I've got clothes in the closet. I've got all these things, right? I don't have uh, a, a huge bank account. I'm like everybody else going from paycheck to paycheck. But the key is I'm here. I'm still here. Regardless of what my mental, my, uh, my, my mental and emotional state has been over the years, frustrated by certain aspects of my financial status and income and so forth, I'm still here. So the reality is best epitomized uh, DDS by, uh, and I'm going to make the story very short. I could elongate it, but I won't. Uh, basically, two guys go out to uh, two or three or four different meals. And uh, one guy's Bob, and the other guy is the other guy's Fred. Bob always picks up the check, and he reaches in his pocket, pulls out the exact amount at each of these meals. Fourth meal, Fred says, "You know, Bob, I first of all, thanks so much for for buying lunch. I appreciate it. But how is it that you always have exactly the right amount every time we go out?" And so he tells him, "Well, I found this bottle, and I rubbed it, and this genie came out and said, you have one wish.'" Okay, can I think about it a little while? He says, sure, I'll be here. Comes back, says, I know what my wish is. I want to have, ev- I want to have exactly what I need, when I need it, where I need it. So he says, your wish is my command. And so every time I reach into my pocket, when I go somewhere and I want to buy something, I've got exactly what I need. So the guy's not in debt, all right? He doesn't have a huge bank account. He doesn't need it because he always has what he needs. And it seems to me that there's the biblical Uh, a passage that speaks to that about how you see the birds and Jesus is speaking. You see the birds flying through the air. They don't toil. They don't work. And yet, guess what? 
They're taken care of. So don't worry about where your next meal's coming from or what clothes you're going to put on your back or dwelling you're going to live in or where you're going to lay your head tonight and so on and so on and so on. You're taken care of. You're taken care of. Um, do you think that that mentality is starting to change or the mentality of uh, uh, they don't pay me enough, so I'm going to start. I'm going to take this stapler. I'm going to take this paperclip holder. Uh, I'm going to take this CD cleaner uh, because they don't pay me enough. So I'm going to take uh, uh, my my bonus in materials from the workplace. And there was a story uh, in the 80s from Motorola. They fired a thousand people because they did an audit. There was a million dollars worth of materials missing. Now that seems to me to be a little backwards in terms of you chose to work there. You chose the salary. All right. There was no guarantee you'd get a raise every year. You know, is that mentality changing? Do you see that happening? Well, I, I I don't know. I don't know whether it's changing, but I guess what I what I can say is that whenever anybody starts a new job, they do so full of the joys of spring. Mm -hmm. They're really happy to get the job. They're grateful that they were offered it above the other candidates. They're probably relieved that they have, you know, are able to pay the bills and, you know, you feel good. And then that feeling either endures or it changes. And, and I believe that the responsibility for that feeling either enduring or changing rests with, with two people or two, two, in, two, two parties. The first party is you, because you get the, you have the right and the ability to get up every day and dis and and to choose your attitude no matter what is happening to you whether you are the recipient of um you know harmful violent behavior or or not you still get the opportunity and the right to get up in the morning and say this is how i am going to respond to what is happening to me number one the second party that is responsible for that is the organization and in particular the leaders of the organization because i the i have always said that the 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 climate of any organization will be shaped by the worst behavior you're willing to tolerate in your leader because it gets modeled and it gets cascaded so the point here is that uh, if if an organization is experiencing those sorts of challenges then that there is there are only two places to look one is what's going on for the individual mm -hmm. and the other is what have we done or not done as an organization that meant we damaged that psychological contract mm. we're talking with uh, dds uh, dotson smith his book you can be yourself here and we encourage you to get a copy by going to soultrained.com as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, it is always a pleasure to uh, converse with our guests about the wide variety of subjects that uh, are available to us, if you will. I really do enjoy these kinds of conversations. Uh, first of all, why DDS? Ah, um, th thank you for asking. 
So um, I was born and the name I was given was Daniel Smith. Um, and then um, uh, many years ago, I met my now husband, who is David Dobson. Um, and in 2007, we got a civil partnership in the UK. And I asked David's dad if it would be okay if I took his last name and added it to my name. And I didn't want to have the name Dobson tagged onto the end of my name. So I put it in the middle and I became Daniel Dobson Smith. And I started signing off my emails as DDS. And then everyone started calling me DDS. And then that has started to feel much more uh, aligned with my identity um, and who I am. And so when people call me DDS, it feels much better to me than being called by my legal name. So you don't do any uh, any dental work? I don't, but oh. I am I am studying to get a PhD. So um, <laughs> <laughs> DDS PhD. <laughs> yeah. You, That'll gonna, confuse the heck out of everyone. You, I was going to say, you're going to be known for nothing but your initials there. But that's right. okay, if it, especially if it fits. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, also, I'm also curious, too, about the, the aspect, the, the conversation around culture. Yeah. Uh, I'll share with you that early in my managerial career, and we're talking uh, the 80s, the mid-80s, uh, maybe even the early 80s, I was the operations manager for a station in Phoenix, Arizona. And for a very short time, I took on what I refer to, okay, as the managerial style I called Hitlerian. You do it because I'm telling you to do it. Okay? I was very strict. And I found very, very quickly that didn't go over well at all. No. No. One guy said, no, I'm not going to do it because you're telling me to do it. Yeah. So I reframed it and I gave up that style right away because I knew it didn't work. And I think that the, one of the benefits that I have had over the years is that as operations manager of different stations, I have basically been doing the same job everybody else is doing in addition to uh, the other tasks that I might have. And that puts me in a very unique position so that I don't have to guess at how the equipment works because I'm dealing with the same equipment they are or the environment, etc., etc., etc. It's one of the reasons why I like that one uh, television program, Undercover Boss, because a lot of these bosses, they're, they're, they're sheltered in their quote-unquote ivory towers. They have no clue as to the jobs that the people are doing. And when I hear about CEOs getting all of these raises and these giant bonuses, what the heck have they done to, to bring in the revenue that that company has? They've done nothing. It's the people down at the bottom doing the legwork doing the heavy lifting it's the drivers of amazon and ups and fedex and so forth <clears throat> that are making the money not the ceos it's the drivers that ought to be getting the bonuses you know um yet at the same time you know i i, I guess i have to acknowledge uh, dds that uh, obviously they must have done something i i don't know I, maybe they haven't done anything they've just held the position and so automatically they're supposed to they're supposed to get bonuses if their profit margin increases 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that can, and that creates, I'm sure, a lot of frustration and animosity. This kind of goes back to my <clears throat> original question a little earlier, uh, dealing with the whole money issue. Uh, but I will tell you that one of the lessons I learned very early on also was uh, when I first started working in this business, I was making minimum wage, and it was $3.65 an hour. That was Now, that'd be appalling today. Uh, Fifteen years later, when I left that same station, I was making a whopping $7.35 an hour. Now, I could have become bitter and upset over the fact that, oh, I'm not going to do that because they don't pay me enough, until I started to realize that there were certain things that I was given the privilege of doing. I was able to do interviews and air them in the evening hours where we'd had no programming. And I was making the contacts with these different guests, such as yourself, for example. And I would get uh, the I would get the materials like the book uh, or the CD or or what have you. And I was getting the experience of interviewing. And I began to reevaluate what I would hear from a lot of people who would come to work for me and with me, actually, who would say, hi, I'm not going to clean the toilet. You guys don't pay me enough to clean the toilet. Well, yeah, but I clean the toilet, too. And so you're going to clean the toilet. But I put it in that context that I realized I'm getting a heck of a lot more, certainly, uh, in exchange for the time that I put in here, the eight hours, and the work they require me to do, I'm getting even more. Is part of your coaching helping people to change their perspective in the workplace in that regard? Or is that a sign that maybe they should go look for another job? Well, I mean... I, I can tell you what my coaching and my therapy isn't, and it's and and what I what I don't do is is help. T- I, I don't teach coping skills to people that will mean that they are more easy to be walked over, right? So I, first of all, I, I'm not in that game. I, I am I am in the game of helping people to realize for themselves what it is that is missing or present in their lives that holds them back from from fulfilling their own potential and um and that's and that's what it's all about and and i I, i'm i'm i always like to remind people of their own agency their personal sovereignty and and i do try and shift people away from you know um it, it, or take them more towards being at cause in their life and being able to be increasingly in touch with their agency. Hmm. Well, I, I have to say that um, uh, one of the laws that one of my bosses used that I have refused, will never use, and I teach people not to use it, the law of diminishing returns. Are you familiar with it? I have heard of it. Uh, basically, uh, it's epitomized by don't put out any more effort than you expect to get back. Mm. And I have I, I have found that that is a counterproductive not only to the uh, company or the business that you work for. It's counterproductive to your success because uh, you don't know what you're going to get. 
and and I consider myself to be more of a spiritual metaphysical person, a metaphysician, if you will. And I look at things uh, from uh, I try to look at things from a little higher perspective. That um, if you succeed in my supporting and facilitating what you're doing, then I'll succeed. My yes. goal is not for me to succeed. Yep, my, my goal is for you to succeed. Uh-huh. Uh, now, I understand you don't teach coping skills. Would that be considered a coping skill or is that a technique that people need to incorporate because maybe that might bring back the, shall we say, the soul and or the humanity to business? Well, let me let me just specify. I, I, I will help people with coping skills, but as long as it's not about how how do, how do i get better at tolerating my manager walking all over me okay right i get you right? so so i so if 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 so, i will teach coping skills if it comes to being dysregulated or triggered or um so um and and i and i personally agree with you richard that for me um i i think that a, a manager like in the workplace a manager's job is to make their team look good, not the other way around. I believe in supporting lines, not reporting lines. And a lot of my work is geared around, you know, you you will you you don't need to make yourself look good. You don't need to take the honor and and um because if your team look good, there's an automatic assumption that you have had a hand in that as a manager or as a, or as a leader. And I, and I also feel the same, like I'm, I'm here as a coach and as a therapist in service. I'm not here for the glory. I'm not here to make a name for myself. I'm, I'm here to, to be a catalyst. Um, and I'm here to help people become. Well, I uh, am glad that you're there. Uh, we can use all the help we can get in business, uh, in all aspects of business. And uh, I would like to think that maybe it might also spill over, uh, <laughs> spill over into government. I, I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with uh, uh, two agencies in particular. One is the IRS. The other one is uh, our local, um, uh, we'll call it uh, Department of Economic Security, so to speak. That's not its name, but uh, uh, on a couple of issues. And fortunately, and I, I, maybe it's me because of the way I approach it, um, when I talk to folks here locally in the state of California, I usually get pretty friendly people because I try to be just like I am with you, very friendly and very amenable uh, because I figure, look, they didn't make the rules, okay? They're just there following the rules to the best of their ability. And a lot of times I get nowhere pretty quick, but I, I don't blame them because it's not their fault. They're just and and man, they, they. I even told one gal. I says, "Well, I I hope you have a fabulous day because I know that the person before me and possibly the person after me is probably not going to make your day real great. But let me just say that you did a great job. You helped me out. You know, I didn't get everything I asked for, but that's okay. You know, because at least I understand, you know, the, what the rules are, and I can move forward. And then thank you so much, blessings, and have a good day." And I have to tell you that that I would rather do that because I'm a I am a believer, of course, in what we put out comes back to us. But it not and this was this is the other aspect of of uh, of the universal law of exchange. You don't always get back 
that, you know, we were talking about the law of diminishing return. Yep. You don't always get back from the source you think you're going to get it. I would have loved to have gotten a raise and made seven thirty-five an hour after five years. Okay. But I realized that that wasn't going to happen. And so I just needed to keep moving forward and then start changing my perspective, not of my boss, like you were saying, you know, tolerating my boss. That was not the perspective I was going to change. It was going to change my perspective in my role, uh, in where I was getting the exchange from. And it wasn't in dollars and cents. And I think a lot of people, they lose sight of that. Oh, my gosh, I'm I'm getting some great experience I would have never gotten had I not taken this job that I'll be able to take to the next job if I, you know, and when I move on and, and or advance and so forth. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that I find interesting, too, is that there are a lot of things that block us. You know, talking about your book, which we haven't mentioned yet uh, for a while. You can be yourself here. Uh, that's the title of the book. SoulTrained.com is the website. And this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a pleasure to have with us DDS uh, Dodson Smith. And uh, it's great to have DDS with us here to uh, discuss these different issues. We got real heavy at the beginning there. And and uh, uh, yet I think it goes back to something you said before, that we need to have the these conversations. We may not resolve anything, but at least we've talked about these things. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, and I've, I've talked about this in my book, Choices, about how uh, we need to, I, I think I use the word, it may be discrimination, but also maybe it was more um, uh, discernment in terms of the people that we want in our lives based upon a choice that we might have made. Uh, not necessarily yes people, but at least people who aren't putting us down, who aren't telling us, oh, no, that's impossible. You can never do that. that that'll never work, et cetera, et cetera. But at least people who are there saying, hey, go for it. You know, if that's what you want to do, uh, I'll support you in it. I don't you know, I don't know. I wouldn't do it. But but you go for it, man. Uh, you've got what it takes to make it happen and what have you. Uh, or at least uh, somebody who's at least neutral, you know, and at least is willing to sit and listen to you babble on about what it is that you want to do. Uh, and we have that right as human beings to uh, discern and or discriminate, whichever word you want to use. And as you say, discrimination is not a bad word. It's just how it's used. Right. Exactly. And how it's implemented. And uh, I don't like having negative people around me. All right. So if I'm discriminating against you and you're not in my life, then it's because uh, I find you to be a negative influence. And I get enough of that. <laughs> I get enough of that from the news, <laughs> which I try not to watch much. How did you get into this business of executive coaching? Because, uh, you know, it just it seems as though. Uh, I, I don't know. Did you, had you, did you have to be an executive uh, to learn a bunch of stuff in order to do this? Were there classes that you were able to take at different colleges? And, of course, as you say, obviously you're, you're going to school because you're going after your Ph.D. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of coaches, right? Um, and um, you, depending on what type of coach you want to be, um, there are different ways in which to become qualified around that. Um 
so yeah, I mean, I, I, I trained as a coach um, when I lived in the UK back in 2004 um, and have been coaching in my roles ever since then and uh, in my, in my corporate roles. Um, and so just, I, I found, I, I found, I think it's just in me, Richard, that I, I believe that I am on this earth in this meat suit, in this iteration of my journey to be a catalyst, to, to be an accelerant for people. Um, and, and, um, and I also want to use, I, I want to, I want to be good at that. I want to be increasingly better at helping other people to become um, whatever it is or whoever it is that, that, that they want to become. And so that's why I first start, I trained as a coach. I knew I was good at helping people think things through, come to conclusions. I knew that I could see things that other people didn't see or I, I had a different perspective, but I wanted to make sure that I was a precision instrument, not, not a blunt tool. Um, and that's why I started training as a, as a, as a, as a coach. Um, and then that's why I trained as a therapist, because I recognized that in coaching, um, you know, coaching isn't therapy, but it doesn't mean to say that it isn't therapeutic. But I also know that, you know, there is a there is a very fine line between what's coaching and what's therapy. And there was points in my coaching practice that I we were getting to a, like a slightly invisible brick wall in terms of progress for my clients. And I wanted to 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 be able to remove that invisible brick wall. And so that started me on my journey to become a psychotherapist so that I am able to hold it in, you know, hold it carefully, ethically and professionally when a coaching conversation moves into the space of being therapy uh, and I can signal where we are and I can bring us back to where we need to be. And overall, you know, uh, coaching is different th different than therapy. And when a coaching client engages me, they get coaching. And when a psychotherapy patient engages me, they get they get psychotherapy. But I'm still me, right? So I will have all of those skills. And whether I'm coaching or whether I'm being a psychotherapist, um, I am deploying everything. I am using all of the tools in my toolkit in order to get the client or the patient what it is that they want. Well, uh, as I've said on this program time and time again, this program is my therapy. So I have had hundreds and hundreds of therapists, yourself included, <laughs> who have helped me to better understand myself as well as uh, in our conversations, the world around us, and, and uh, uh, to maybe change a perspective a little bit and, and say, look, you know, this person is the way they are because, and it's not for me to sit there and pass judgment, uh, because uh, as uh, we've often said on this program, we all experience the same emotions. The intensities certainly change, but it's, and that's what makes us all the same. What makes us unique is the stories around those emotions, what created those emotions. And we need to share those stories as well. Do you find that the work, the therapy that you do and the coaching that you do facilitates people in business, in their 
relationships, because it seems to me like a lot of what we've talked about could be incorporated within relationship. I mean, it's all about relationship, right? Like we we don't that we don't exist in the business world or in any context of our life without relationship. There is always some sort of relationship, and and I and I and I think that leadership must be viewed as a relationship between the leader and the led, and the quality of that relationship, and the depth of rapport that exists between the leader and the led is the thing is the difference that makes the difference between just going back to what you something that you said earlier when you said you know people people don't do what they're told to do when you're with your previous management style and that's absolutely true people don't do what they're told to do they do what they want to do and that is true in the workplace as it is in any other place and so the difference that makes the difference between somebody wanting to do what they're being asked to do is the quality of the relationship that they have with the person that's doing the asking. I find what you have to share with our listeners fascinating. I like the fact that you want people to be themselves, their authentic selves. In uh, in your coaching, you probably don't do this, but in your therapy, I'm sure that you do. And that is you help people to get in touch with the inner part of themselves and even the shadow side, if you will. Mm-hmm. The light side, that's easy. That doesn't hurt. That's not painful. That's, that doesn't take a lot of energy and effort. It's looking at the shadow side that is the real challenge for, for most of us because we, we just don't want to face that, right? Right. And, and yeah, so, I mean, I, this does come up in my coaching practice, actually, Richard, you know, when, when people come into coaching and they are, they want to discuss a particularly fractious relationship that they have with somebody that they work with or somebody that they manage or someone that they are managed by um, this, this idea of the shadow does come up because the, the concept of the shadow, which comes from Jungian psychology helps us to know that, there are aspects of ourselves that we don't like that we repress into the shadow but that we we are able to name in other people um and it's easier for us to see the, these aspects of this these disowned aspects of ourselves in other people and judge them for it and to rail against them or to be angry against them and at, Actually, um, what I like to do with clients and patients alike is is help them to explore what aspect is it of themselves that they are disowning, that they don't like, that they need to be at peace with, such that when they are at peace with it, the frustrations and anger and judgment that they have towards this other personal situation just begin to fall away. Do you think uh, or maybe discern, if you will, uh, that the workplace, the place where people will congregate to do their work, where they haven't been for the last year or possibly two, uh, may be fraught with some real challenges because we haven't been connecting 
in person. Uh, they talk about the, the new pandemic, mental health pandemic. Yeah, I mean, this is, an, this is another shift and change, right? Over the last year to two years, we have, for right or for wrong, and whether we've enjoyed it or not, we've turned inward and we've become less connected. We've become more isolated. And some people who live alone haven't had to be, be in, engage in physical company for an extended period of time. And there's, and, and yeah, I, I believe that the, the, the thought of engaging physically in an, in an office environment or any environment can bring lots of fear and anxiety for people. Because like, well, how, 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 do, how do I do this again? How, am I, how do I behave? Something that we were very, very well practiced at went away for an extended period of time. And so we forget what it's like. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah, the, there's the, the, the pandemic that is impacting, you know, or COVID that has, that has impacted mental and emotional health. But then just look at what's happened this week in the, over the last two weeks in America. Yeah. With, the, you know, the, and then it's the second anniversary of the killing of George Floyd. There, there is, there's heaviness. Yeah everywhere everywhere and and so it it it's just it it weighs whether we allow it to whether we allow ourselves to consciously recognize how much this heaviness weighs upon us um or not it's there and it exists and it impacts and it infiltrates and so mental health and emotional health is more at risk now than it has ever been yeah, and that's why we need people like you to help us through uh, because when we can get through, I think that's one thing that I think a lot of people uh, need to understand is that we can make it through, but we have to be willing to uh, take one step at a time. It's not going to happen overnight. And think about it. When they locked us down, as it were, uh, uh, in March of 2020, <clears throat> uh, here we are already. Uh, in a late uh, late May, early June of 2022, two years later, here we are. And I will tell you that um, on one level, I was elated at the lockdown. Not because I became a, an instant epidemiologist and I knew that they were doing the right thing. It was that we're doing something different than we've ever done before. With something like this. Now, I think there were some incomplete aspects to lockdown, but be that as it may. And that I knew that we were going to come out the other side and it was going to be different. Now, whether we like it or not, 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 not the issue. But the fact was it was going to be different. Mm -hmm. But I also immediately became aware of all of the opportunities that we didn't even know existed back then in March that would come up for people. And look at the number of businesses that popped up. They would be short-term uh, because we were uh, at the medical facilities short of the protective wear and masks and this. And, and individuals began their own businesses to create what was needed. And then, I, and I also realized, too, that there's no shortage of food. 
because you started seeing people delivering food to people who couldn't get out. Restaurants would make food so that the food they had there wouldn't go to waste, and they would give it away. And I thought, this is the resilience of the human spirit. This is where it's at. And, And it still goes on today. And I think it's a marvelous testament to our adaptability as well as our resilience as human beings. Yeah. Your thoughts? I, I, I agree that human beings have a natural inbuilt resilience and resourcefulness mm. and that we are wired, hardwired towards actualization and individua- individuation and growth. And at the same time, um, while I agree with you that there is no shortage of food, I also acknowledge that people are experiencing food shortages. Yeah. You know, so it's it, it goes back to the the haves and the have nots. And in, in this world, there are people that have an automatic leg up and there are people that don't. And um, and um, I think it's really, really important for the people who have um to educate ourselves and to be aware of the experiences of people that are not like us Um, and 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 to know that not everyone not everyone has the same life well dds this has been fascinating i have another question for you and it has to do with the picture behind you the rainbow oh yeah tell me about that uh, well, this is this is a piece of art that my husband and I picked up um, when we lived in San Francisco um, at a small shop in uh, the district of Hayes Valley. It is um, it is of a tank, um, and um, shooting out of the tank, um, the tank's artillery, I guess, mm-hmm. is a rainbow. Now, the rainbow is generally accepted to be the you know, the symbol of the the of the LGBTQIA two plus community of which I am a member. Um, but that also, to me, uh, as a piece of art, um, is a reminder of the kind of dialectic juxtaposed world that we live in. You know that we that that we there is beauty in this world and there is absolute horror in this world too. The, the duality that uh, is perceived by uh, many, many people indeed. Uh, and uh, we are most appreciative of your appearance on this program to share with us your book, You Can Be Yourself Here, as well as the website soultrained.com. As we continue on Tell Me Your Story, I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're with DDS and his uh, book, of course, uh, that we are talking about, as well as the work that he does as both a coach and executive coach and therapist. You can be yourself here, and we hope that you will go to and we will be linked to soultrained.com so that you can listen to the podcast or videocast as well as uh, scroll through the work that he is doing and um, take a look at some of those videos and all the great things get a copy maybe an audible of the uh, of the book you can be yourself here uh dds i want to ask you 
Uh, three final questions I ask all of my guests. And okay. uh, you may have addressed them to some degree during the program, but I like to ask them directly. Before I do, I need to uh, tell you, folks, that you are listening to Tell Me Your Story, both the audible as well as visual. Uh, we have a program that's here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We also have podcasts at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And we're on YouTube with the video cast. You subscribe to those. I'm less concerned or interested in increasing the number of subscribers as I am making sure that as a subscriber, you're notified when a new interview is posted. That's what happens if you subscribe to the podcasts and video casts is every time I put a new one up, you get notified about that. So I would appreciate it if you would subscribe so that you get notified in that regard. Also, supporting this program is uh, also something that I'm greatly appreciative of for those who have and also for those who will. That's why we have a PayPal account there for your security as well as ours. Any amount is greatly appreciated. Thank you, thank you, thank you to those who have and to those who will. And also participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. We ask you to spend that time going within, listening to that still, small voice. And with that, we now go to uh, the final three questions that we love to ask our guests. And uh, the first of those three questions is, and I will uh, respect your uh, wishes, who is DDS? So. I am DDS, um, <laughs> uh, and um, uh, I am I am an executive coach and a psychotherapist. I'm an author. I'm a husband. I'm a catalyst, um, uh, and um, I, I say a lot to my coaching clients: I'll be your best friend, but not the type of friend that is going to tell you what you want to hear. I'll be that type of friend that's going to tell you that you've got spinach on your teeth. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? A world in which everyone belongs and a world that is populated by leaders who are worth following. And finally, what is your life's purpose? To be a catalyst. And with that, I thank you, DDS, for joining us here on the program and sharing your story and the work that you do. And I hope that people will go to your website, soultrained.com, to find out more about you and um, to learn how they can be themselves wherever they are. And again, thank you. Thank you, Richard. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening.